Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today we are wrapping up this series called The Way of Love, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. In fact, as we're wrapping up, I'm excited about where we're going today uh, because I think what we're going to talk about is really practical. We've tried to do that every single week of this series, but I think this may be one of the most like bottom shelf practical. We all need some help in this area that we're going to talk about today, myself included. Uh, and so it's like one of the most helpful areas we could talk about, but also one of maybe the most difficult for us to navigate together. So how's that for a tease? But before we jump into it, uh, let me give you two disclaimers. I've given these every single week of this series. Uh, so if you've been here every single week, you can probably recite them back to me. But uh, one is even though the graphic is like all hearts and pink and like Valentine's-y feeling, uh, when we're talking about the way of love, we're really not just talking about romantic relationships, but the principles that we've talked about throughout this series and that we're going to talk about today can apply in all kinds of different relational contexts, whether that's at work or with your family or with a significant other or maybe your friends or your neighborhood. Wherever people interact, uh, we can live out uh, our relationships in a more loving way. And so that's what we're trying to do. Everybody's invited to participate and be a part of this, regardless of your relationship status or where you find yourself today. Uh, But the second and maybe more important disclaimer I've given every time is I by no means am saying that I am an expert in the way of love. Uh, I have a wife who can tell you otherwise, and before her there is a long history of failed relationships that would tell you you maybe shouldn't listen to me if I was just speaking on my own authority. But uh, instead, what we have tried to do together these past four weeks and what we're going to do today is we are going to talk about uh, just how we can live the way of love as it's reflected through the scriptures. And in fact, uh, we found the title and we've keyed in on this one specific verse that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the region of Ephesus in the first uh, century. He planted this church and then was writing to them about what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And he said, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk, there's our title, in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the goal in this series is that we would learn how to do that. We would learn what it means to actually follow God's example and how he calls us to love one another and that we could learn uh, some practical skills to help our relationships be healthy and to help them thrive together. And this is so critical, not just because it's good for you and good for me to have healthy relationships, but it's actually at the very heart of what Jesus said following God is all about. And again, if you've been with us every week, you've heard this every week, maybe you can recite it back, but it's a big deal because one time somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Or in other words, what's the most important thing at the heart of following God? There's like 600 something laws in the Old Testament. And Jesus answered by boiling all of that down to this. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And that was the predictable kind of pat answer of the day, uh, but he wasn't done yet. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment, but a second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that was actually kind of a radical addition to the idea of what it meant to follow God. For Jesus, he said that our love for God should be expressed in our relationships towards one another, that our love for God should be expressed in our love for the people around us. And so if you wanna grow in your relationship with God, you have to deal with the people around you for better or worse. And in fact, uh, something we've said several times throughout this series is that often the greatest barrier to our spiritual maturity, to growing in our relationship with God is our emotional immaturity. 
that often the thing that keeps us from growing in our faith is some of that stuff we pick up along the way in our relational world, the tensions that exist between us or the bad habits that mom and dad taught you or whatever it may be. Sometimes our emotional immaturity keeps us from growing spiritually. And I love how uh, author Bob Goff, who if you've never heard of Bob Goff, he is like a five-year-old in like a 70-year-old's body. Like he, he's just this big ball of energy and he, he's written a couple of books. He's really awesome. But uh, he wrote this book called uh, Everyone Always. And he talked about how Jesus followers uh, really should identify themselves. And here's what he said. He says that Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. And he said it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good that we hoped to do someday. No, he said that we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. And it's tempting to think that there's more to it than that, but there's not. And I love this line. He says, love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone that we become. And that's our goal in this series, right? It's easy to fall in love. It's easy to feel love. But what we wanna do is become people who actually embody love who live out the way of love in all kinds of relationships and in all kinds of contexts. We wanna be constantly working towards meaningful, fulfilling relationships where we bring out God's best in the people around us and we're able to live out God's best uh, for ourselves as well. So throughout the series, we didn't just wanna like talk lofty in the clouds about love, but we wanna make it really practical. And so we've talked about uh, relational skills that you can actually apply in any context. And so really quickly, let me give you a recap of where we've been the past four weeks. On week one, the first skill that we learned together is that we can clarify our expectations. We said often that the conflict that exists in our relationships, which teaser, that's what we're talking about today. Often that conflict finds its root in unhealthy or unexpressed or even unrealistic expectations that we have towards one another. And when we encounter those unhealthy expectations, what we tend to do is we assume the worst about the people around us. We assume we know why they do what they do. But in clarifying expectations, we said that we need to actually talk to the people around us to actually seek to understand them and to have the conversation instead of just assuming and to make clear the things that we desire, the things that we expect and to make it a mutual agreement. So that's clarifying expectations in week one. On week two, we talked about the skill of becoming self-aware that most of the time when we operate around each other, unfortunately, often in church space, especially, it's just kind of the surface level of who we are, right? There's like 10% above the surface that we present to one another and we make look really good on Instagram and all that stuff. But the truth is there's a lot more to you and there's a lot more to me under the surface. And so as we talked about becoming self-aware, what we really were talking about is learning how we can know our emotions and our motivations, how we can actually get to know that stuff under the surface that drives us and that shapes our experience of life and our experience of one another. And on uh, week two, I gave you a really simple exercise that maybe seems silly if you do it once, but if you do it over time, can actually lead to growing in your awareness of yourself. And that was to simply ask the question, how am I feeling right now and why do I feel that way? How am I feeling right now and why do I feel that way? And we said if you ask that question, even if it was like a five-minute check-in every day over time, you'll begin to discover some patterns that emerge. Maybe things that consistently make you feel a certain way, that maybe it's something connected to your childhood or some pain in your past, or maybe it's just something that you really like that you didn't know you really like, but over time you're like, man, I feel great every single time that this happens. But either way, the goal is to get to know ourselves, to have more self-awareness so that we understand what we're bringing to the table in every relationship. On week three, uh, we introduced the skill that we called incarnational listening. And most of us learned how to listen or tried to learn how to listen when we were like three or four years old. Uh, But we added this idea of incarnational listening where we don't just listen to each other because it's the polite thing to do, but we actually tied this idea of listening back to this theological concept called the incarnation. When Jesus who was fully God, chose to become a man, 
chose to enter into our world. He left his world and entered ours. And on week three, we said that's how we ought to listen to one another. We ought to be willing to leave the world of our thoughts and our opinions and all of our certainty and enter into the world of the people around us if we wanna have a healthy relationship. We need to express empathy and create space to hear them and not just wait to talk. So that was week three. Uh, Last week, we talked about the practice of living your true self. And this wasn't like living your best life or getting everything that you've always wanted. But instead, we said that God made you you for a reason. That God put gifts and talents and personality quirks and all kinds of good stuff in you. And that the best relationships are the relationships where you can really bring your full authentic self and the other person or other people can bring their full authentic selves. And together, you can create an environment of safety and vulnerability where we can be the people that God made us to be. So we've covered a lot of ground in four weeks, but today uh, we're going to introduce one final skill. And it's the skill of navigating conflict by fighting cleanly. And depending on your personality, you can already kind of feel it in the room. Some of you are like, oh no, we're going there. And others of you are like, let's go. Like, I'm ready to fight. But uh, here's the thing, regardless of your temperament or your posture or how you feel about this, there is one thing that I'm certain about any relationship that you're in, whether it's at work, at home, uh, in your neighborhood, every single relationship that you're in, that you're a part of, in that relationship, conflict is inevitable. In fact, maybe the thing that all of our relationships have in common, maybe the thing that all of our relationships have in common is eventually there will be conflict in them, right? Because whenever two people or even a group of people gathers together and they try to relate to one another, eventually there's some kind of a disagreement. There's some kind of a miss along the way, whether it's something that you said that you ought not to have said or something that they did that they ought not to have done or just a way that you don't understand each other. And it creates this tension between you along the way. And if you've ever been in any type of relationship, you know that often when conflict shows up, even if you win, you lose, right? You ever had that argument before where like you got your point across, but you still lost at the end. Uh, So like, here's the thing. Conflict is inevitable. All of us face it. But I think for many of us, the way that we navigate conflict uh, was shaped primarily by our family of origin. Maybe the way that you saw mom and dad interact as it related to conflict and tension along the way shapes the way that you naturally act. Maybe you had a brother or a sister that you were constantly fighting with, and and that's shaped the way that you react when when you're upset with somebody. For me, uh, I know my older brother and I consistently uh, did what brothers do, right? We fought, he was older than me and, and he would pick on me and uh, he would be so annoying to be honest. He, he was weird and I'm weird, so it must run in the family, but he would do this thing, uh, he called it memeing. And, and so like, you're like, yeah, that's weird, what is that? It, he would basically like get up in my face or sometimes he would like press on my arm or he would just like smash his face up against mine and he would go me, 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 all up on me and it would just drive me crazy. In fact, even that sound of me doing that right now, I feel like is bringing up some like PTSD in me of like, no, don't, I would just scream like, don't me, 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 which sounds funny because it's me, me, me. But anyway, uh, we would fight all the time. We would bicker, like sometimes it would move on from just silly pranks like me, me-ing and arguing and Eventually, with two boys in the house, things would get a little physical at times. And I can remember uh, specifically, there was this time that my brother and I were fighting. I don't remember what we were fighting about. I think it started out as playing, because you know how that goes with brothers. Like, we're just playing around and and wrestling. And then next thing you know, somebody's not playing anymore. Probably me, because I was the younger brother and I got mad. And so then we're fighting and we're wrestling. And I can remember the fight, like, moved to the uh, front of my parents' house. And something you need to know about the entryway to their house is, uh, at the time, they had this closet door where they would hang coats and stuff. And across the closet door was this full glass mirror. 
uh, the whole length of it was glass. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? So, so we're wrestling and we're fighting. And eventually I find myself pressed up against this mirror and like we're fighting and I'm doing my Mighty Mouse thing, like get off of me. And, and he's pushing me up against it. And then guess what happened? We heard this big crunching, cracking noise behind us. And it was amazing to me in that moment, whatever we were fighting about didn't matter anymore. <laughs> we both just like stopped and in silence, backed away and looked at the closet door. We're like, well, I guess we better go tell mom and dad. And so I can remember we walked out. I think my parents were in the backyard uh, working in the yard or whatever. And we walked out there and I can remember we both said, the good news is everyone is okay. <laughs> like nobody got hurt. And uh, here's the thing. I think oftentimes as it relates to conflict in our relationships, that's kind of how we try and operate, isn't it? Like something happens and we know it's not good. The tension is there. The glass is broken, whatever you want to say. And then we try and like minimize it. We try and sweep it under the rug. We're like, hey, there's good news. Everything's fine. Like, don't worry about the broken glass in the front of the room. And here's the thing. I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure if my brother and I's relationship matured very much that day. But one thing that we learned is that we don't want to let mom and dad know that we're fighting. Right? We don't want to let them know. And many times that's how our families can tend to operate. Right? We try and minimize the conflict because nobody wants to be known for conflict. Nobody wants to put the fun and dysfunctional in their families along the way. And many of us are taught that if there's conflict in our relationships, it's a bad thing. Many of us have been taught that if conflict shows up, it means there's something wrong. But what I've learned uh, over the years, what I'm continuing to learn is that that's actually not true. That conflict is actually the marker of a healthy relationship, not an unhealthy relationship. That it's this normal and important and necessary part of actually connecting and relating with other human beings if relationships are meant to grow and are meant to mature along the way. And uh, we've been through a couple of crazy years, right, where we were all quarantined and sheltering at home, and you've probably had more opportunity than ever before to experience conflict with the people in your home, right? Because you're just like there, and there's nowhere that you could go, and you like got on each other's nerves along the way. Uh, and uh, my point in all this is that conflict is inevitable. Conflict will be a part of your relationships, whether you like it or not, but how we respond to conflict actually shapes the character and the nature of our relationships. It shapes whether or not we grow and develop in our relationships and ultimately whether or not we live out the way of love as we've been talking about it. But when conflict shows up on our doorstep, we have options for how we choose to respond. And many of us choose option number one, which is to live in what I would call a false peace, right? This is the the good news is everybody's okay approach. Like something happens, but for many of us, uh, even though we don't intentionally set out to minimize what's happened or we don't intentionally set out to just keep the peace, uh, we can be tempted to unknowingly make the conflict lesser, right? Just bury it, just hide it, just pretend that it's not there. Just try and keep everybody happy around. And, and so when conflict shows up, we just try and like press it down. We try and pretend it's not there. And, and the problem with this the problem with this false peace that sometimes we try and live out is that what we do when we minimize the thing that happened is we just put off the difficult issue. We just delay the tension and the situation that happened in this effort to keep everything stable and serene. We actually just make it worse because we delay it and it comes back with a vengeance eventually along the way. We're not actually experiencing true peace because the thing is still there. And in fact, this can happen not only uh, with individuals, not only like in your workplace, but this can happen with entire people groups. And in fact, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to a moment like this in God's people in ancient Israel. And, and here's what he said. He says that they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And isn't that how relationships can function sometimes? 
right? Everything looks good on the surface. You're saying it's fine, everything's good. But really, there's something else in the water. There's something else going on. And the truth is, true peace will never come in your relationship or in my relationships if we just pretend everything's okay. But we ignore the actual tension or the actual issue or in some serious cases, the actual injustice or the thing that's going wrong along the way. And I think sometimes this can be particularly difficult for Christians, right? Like if you grew up in church, uh, then maybe like me, you picked up somewhere along the way this idea that I just call being Christian nice. We're like, we're just supposed to be happy and smiley all the time and everything's supposed to be good, right? Like you're screaming at your kids in the van when you get to church and then you get out and you're like, smile, we're at church, like be happy. Uh, We can fall into this where we think that our job as Christians is to keep the peace. It's to avoid conflict at all costs. And in fact, uh, some of us maybe even pick this up from Jesus himself because in one of his most famous sermons, Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And being a child of God sounds like a good thing. So some of us have picked up, like, I should keep the peace, right? I shouldn't have conflict. I shouldn't be upset along the way. But really look at what Jesus said with me for a second. Jesus didn't say that we're called to be peacekeepers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? The people who actively pursue peace. The people who don't minimize it, who don't hide, who don't live in false peace, but the people who proactively pursue peace. And that means sometimes staring down conflict and taking it on actively. Jesus doesn't invite us to be peacekeepers. He calls us to be peacemakers along the way. And Jesus himself didn't avoid conflict when he walked this earth. In fact, he often engaged in it. He often brought it to the surface. And not only did he not avoid it, he didn't shrink back from it. Uh, There's an account Uh, where Jesus is teaching in a home. And uh, we actually just heard about this a few weeks ago from Stuart Hall, who was a teacher who was with us uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. And it's this story where this group of friends had a friend who was paralyzed and they were so serious about trying to get him healed and get him to Jesus that they put him on this mat and they ripped up the roof of Peter's house and dropped him in front of Jesus. And, uh, And then the religious leaders of the day saw this happening. They saw Jesus actually make this promise that he would forgive the sins of this man, that he would offer healing to this man. And the religious leaders of the day got really upset They said Jesus was committing blasphemy uh, because he forgave the sins of this paralyzed man. How dare he? And and here's how Jesus responded. Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them. Now listen, the peacekeeper approach of Jesus, right, would have been like, you're right, Pharisees, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't understand that that was against the rules and I know I've caused a really big ruckus, so can we all just like go back to our homes in a nice orderly fashion and don't tell anybody about what you experienced because it was a big mistake, I'm so sorry. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus like drops the mic and is like, look, you're challenging me on who I am and on what I can do, look what I can do, walk. And he sends him out in front of the Pharisees. He's not hiding the conflict, he directly engages in it. And it's not only with these people who Jesus was upset with, Jesus actually engaged in conflict with some of his closest friends and closest followers. Uh, One of his followers named Peter uh, actually was wrestling with some of the things Jesus said were going to be true of him, that Jesus actually predicted that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be killed, and that he would rise again three days later. And, And Peter just struggled to understand that. And he said to Jesus, he took him aside and he started to rebuke him. So that's kind of aggressive. And he says, never, Lord, these things will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, thanks so much for looking out for me, man. I know you just really care and you just want to take care of me. So you're right. Like, we'll just hang out here in Galilee for a while. No, that's peacekeeper Jesus. Here's what real Jesus said. Jesus turned to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. 
That's not a good day when Jesus says that to you, right? He, he says, get behind me. You're a stumbling block to me. And you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus wasn't afraid to engage in conflict. In fact, he knew and he understood that being quick and being direct and moving towards the direction of conflict sometimes is the actual loving thing to do along the way. Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor and an author of a book that's kind of shaped a lot of this conversation we've been having called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, uh, he and his wife Jerry said this about this idea of being a peacemaker. He says, true peacemakers love God, others, and themselves enough to disrupt false peace. You can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense. They must be exposed to the light and replaced with the truth. This is the mature and the loving thing to do. So it's not the way of love to live in false peace and pretend that there's no conflict and be a peacekeeper. We're called to be peacemakers, but some of us choose a different path when we respond to conflict. And rather than living in false peace and backing away from conflict, some of us fight dirty, right? Some of us are like, bring it on, let's go. And we lean into conflict along the way. And have you ever done this before? Like, do you ever fight dirty? Before you answer, let me give you some examples of what this can look like, uh, some of these dirty fighting techniques. And these are not things to take notes on. Okay, this isn't like pointers for how to fight dirty. This is meant to be a gut check, okay, about if you've ever done this before. So let's start with denying. Has anybody ever like denied, if you're in the middle of a conflict, you're like, I don't deny. That's ridiculous, right? Have you ever been there? You're like, I don't do that. Maybe you're like, look at me. I know for a fact I've never lived in denial. We can fall into that, right? Where we're like, we minimize the conflict and we fight dirty in this way. Uh, how about my weapon of choice, sarcasm, right? You ever done that one? You're like, yeah, that's a great approach to conflict is to just be sarcastic and snarky about it. That's really gonna solve everything, way to go. Uh, some of us drift into that, right? And that idea of sarcasm, it's dirty because it literally is just a cutting remark. It, it sounds funny, but it hurts under the surface. It's laughing at someone's expense or it's making fun of the situation. How about silent treatment? Right? You know what you've done. <laughs> Some of you do this, right? It's like it's there. You can feel it in the room, and there's the tension there, but you're not going to go there. You're just going to hold on to it. They'll know, right? They'll be ready when, whenever the time is. Some of us take that approach. How about walking away? So here's the thing. I know this is fighting dirty because I've experienced it before. And I can remember, she's in the room, so I'm talking about it. But my wife and I, when we were dating, uh, I don't even remember what we were fighting about, but we had this conflict and things were, were getting heated. And uh, I'll talk about my dirty fighting tactic in just a second. So uh, equal opportunity offender here. But we were fighting, things were getting heated. And uh, she just like walked away. And I remember being like so angry. Like, this is not okay. You don't walk away from the conflict, right? And I do what I do for a living. I've always been this way. I talk a lot. So I'm like going on this rant to her later about like, you like break the relationship when you walk away. And if we face it together, we can get through everything and blah, blah, blah. But we do this, right? We walk away sometimes from conflict. And it's not only the silent treatment where you don't say anything, but you like physically remove yourself from the conflict and just let it try and sit there. My weapon of choice, once again, how about shouting, right? When we just believe that like, if we say what we're saying louder, it will make it more true somehow. Like if we just get elevated and escalated, it somehow makes things better. Or, or have you ever done this one? Using always and never, right? It's very common, which we know never works. Some of you always do it, but it never works anytime you can count on it. Uh, or this last one, like many of us, we'd probably never admit to actually doing this along the way. In fact, I'm not even gonna tell you what it is. I'm not even gonna tell you, I bet you know. 
I bet you know. I bet you can figure it out. I mean, you don't even really want to know, do you? It's being passive aggressive, right? When it's there and you can feel it. Uh, but like, we don't actually talk about the thing. We just are like, no, I'm fine. But you know it's not fine. And it's just like this maddening thing. This one drives me bonkers as well. Uh, but so like this list, again, not pointers. This is not like, let's go try it at home tonight. But like, which of these dirty fighting techniques tends to be your go-to? Because the truth is we all can drift into this uh, way of responding to conflict as well. For me, I, I mentioned sarcasm. That can be one I go to a lot uh, because I feel like if I can make something funny, it's not like at a conscious level that I'm doing this, but often if I make something funny, uh, even at somebody else's expense, then we can just move on from it, right? We laugh and we move forward. But what happens when I practice my dirty fighting technique of sarcasm is the problem doesn't actually get addressed. It just masks the hurt and it delays the conflict for another day. Sometimes it even adds on to it if you really say something biting and, and painful and it delays what truly needs to happen, which is a good, clean fight. And that's what we're talking about today. Because here's the truth of fighting dirty. Here's the truth uh, when we engage in these practices, often what we're doing is we're trying to shift the blame totally to the other person, right? We're trying to, to minimize our role in the conflict and maximize theirs. We point out what's going on with them. And as long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you're always gonna be unhappy, right? You're always gonna be unhappy because it's just like kicking the ball down the field. And then it comes back and it comes back and it comes back and nothing really changes along the way because we have to practice a different way. And that's the way I wanna spend my rest of my time on today, this choice to actually fight clean. And maybe you're like, that sounds like an oxymoron, man. Like, like how do you fight clean? How do you have a good, clean fight? Uh, again, Pete Scazzaro, the author of that book, uh, defines a clean fight in this way. He says that a clean fight is a negotiation between two people for the sake of the relationship. And I love that definition. Because right? often when we think about a fight, we think about winning, right? Or we think about uh, this competition or this conflict between us where we're trying to get our way. But he says, no, no, a fight is more like a negotiation where you're like working it out, where you're bringing your stuff to the table and you're working through it. And, and it's between two people or sometimes it's between larger groups of people, but it's not for the sake of winning. It's not for the sake of being right. The good clean fight is actually for the sake of the relationship itself. It, it's for the sake of growing deeper in love, in the way of love. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this uh, in a letter to the church in Rome in the first century. He said, do not repay anyone evil for evil, right? Don't fight dirty is what he's saying. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't live in false peace either, right? You've got to do something. And he lays it out. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love kind of the nuance of that instruction that Paul, Paul gives us. He says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that means that sometimes you and I will engage in conflict and, and we'll do everything that we can possibly do, right? We'll lean into God. We'll, we won't fight dirty. We'll try and fight clean. We'll do the right thing. But it doesn't just depend on you. Right? You can do the right thing and the other person maybe isn't willing to budge. They're not willing to do their part and own their own part of the equation. And what that means is that when that happens, we have to figure out how to make peace with ourselves and with God and to move forward to the best of our ability. But at the same time, Paul's highlighting that in most cases, in many cases, there's something you can do. Right? There's something that you can own in the conflict. So as much as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. So what does it look like to fight cleanly? 
I want to spend the rest of our time just kind of teasing out uh, some examples and some principles about how we can actually do this. And for me, many of these principles are things that I've learned in uh, leadership type environments or ministry team trainings, because the truth is uh, church and ministry and teams can be ripe with conflict. They can be breeding grounds for conflict. And so I've had a lot of people over the years invest in me as a leader and and help give me tools to try and navigate through conflict. And I want to actually pass some of that on to you today. And and one of the first things that we can do, if you want to have a good, clean fight, not fight dirty and not avoid it, then what you need to do is you need to deal with the problem at the source. You need to actually go after the real source of the conflict. And do you know what the source of the conflict is? Jesus' brother James actually asked the very same question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? But he answers the question too. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And he takes it a step further. He says, you desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. And that's a little excessive, right? Like most of us don't go that far. But the point is, he's saying, don't you know like what causes these fights? Don't you know what causes these tensions? Don't you know what your part is? It's your desire that's at work within you. In other words, you have to own your part of the puzzle. You have to own your piece of the conflict. There is a phenomenal uh, series I heard several years back by Pastor Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, Georgia at North Point Church. Uh, it was called Future Family, and he was basically talking about uh, family issues and, and how to have a healthy family. But They did a whole week on conflict, and, and in this talk, he actually uh, keyed in on this verse from James and talked about how ultimately, at some point in every conflict, one of the healthiest things that you can do is have this realization, something along these lines that where you can say, do you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. If you can get yourself to that point, it can be such a helpful way to fight clean if you realize, you know what? I want something and I'm not getting it. And that's a part of the problem here. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, right? That could be, I want the respect that I think I deserve and I'm not getting it. I want the admiration or or the attention that I think that I deserve and I'm not getting it. But that simple exercise of getting to that point where you can recognize, hey, part of the problem is I want something and I'm not getting it. It can actually free you up to own your piece of the puzzle. And it may be like 10% you, 90% them. But if you can't own your 10%, you're never going to have a good clean fight and you're never going to move forward in a healthy way through the conflict. A second thing that can help us to have a good, clean fight. There's not only owning our part of the puzzle, but there's actually uh, some wisdom in how we approach working through a problem together that I first uh, learned when I was in college. I randomly took this class on negotiation when I was in college because I needed the credits and it was like fit in my schedule or whatever. And it ended up being this really fun class. Uh, I've actually thought about it a lot recently because one of our big projects at the end of uh, the class is we did this like geopolitical simulation where we all pretended to be a country and we had to negotiate through this like world war type crisis and I was Russia. So (laughs) do with that what you will. Good news, I didn't win in the simulation. So do with that what you will. But anyway, in this class, uh, one of the things I took away was actually from the book that we used. It was a book called Getting to Yes by a guy named William Urey. And uh, honestly, the book itself was kind of dry and technical, but I can remember there was this illustration that I have used time and time again uh, in so many situations as it relates to conflict, where William basically spelled out that uh, as it relates to conflict, what we typically do, uh, say like I'm on this side of the table and the person I'm in conflict with is on this side of the table. We set the problem down right between us and we fight. 
right? We argue about our perspectives. And, and normally that looks like attacking one another. It looks like fighting against one another with the problem in between us. And as it related to having a healthier, better way of fighting and working through conflict, here's what uh, the author suggested. He said that we need to shift from you versus me with the problem between us to figuring out a way to make it you and me on the same side of the table against the problem. Do you see the difference there? Like most of us naturally are good at you versus me with the problem in between us. But if you can figure out how to shift that to where it's no, 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 you and I are together and the problem's there, right? There's conflict. We need to do something about it. But what if you and me go after the problem together? That preserves the relationship and it still addresses the problem along the way. And that posture really matters. Uh, in fact, uh, in the book, uh, he shared this quote and it's one of those internet quotes that some people say Mark Twain said, and some people say Abraham Lincoln said, and who knows who said it, but I think it's true. It says this, that don't I also destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? And, and isn't that the thing? I mean, we would never say like we want to kill each other probably in, in conflict, but like we want to win. We want it to go away. We want to get our way, but don't we also get our way if we solve the problem together? If I make my enemy my friend in the conflict moving forward, the last principles I wanna share with you. It's gonna be like rapid fire laundry list uh, from this exercise that I actually did as a part of a ministry team that I was on. We went through some curriculum uh, by a guy named Patrick Lincioni, who is a business consultant and specifically focuses on teamwork and how people can uh, get along with one another in a healthier way. And he did this exercise that our team went through uh, that was establishing conflict norms. In other words, it was acknowledging like, Conflict is going to happen because people are interacting with one another. But how do we want to go about conflict? Right? How do we actually want to approach it? How do we want to work through it together? And I want to share with you what this team came up with because, A, they're very grounded in God's word. Like, we'll use some scripture for it, but uh, they're also very practical. They're very helpful. And as I go through them, maybe for you, if you're in the midst of some conflict or something's come to your mind, maybe grab onto a couple of these. And imagine if you tried them in your situation. But as a staff, uh, we wrote out this statement, which I think could apply to any relationship, not just in a team context. But for this church team, we said uh, that our goal was to be a healthy staff team. And so we'll create space for conflict in order to protect unity and further the mission. See, we're like, conflict is gonna be a piece of the equation, but we're gonna do it in a healthy way. And, and so in light of that, when conflicts arise, here's the things we laid out. One, we said, we'll pray. Isn't that kind of an unusual reaction, even for a bunch of Christians, <laughs> even for a, a bunch of pastors that in the midst of conflict, we're actually gonna like push pause and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and, and for discernment and for guidance in the process. Most of us don't do a lot of praying when we're in conflict, unless it's like, I pray God brings down his wrath on you. And, and that's a different thing. That's not what I'm <laughs> suggesting. But what a great place to start, right? If, if God cares about the nature of your relationships, which he does, if God cares about you, and cares about the person on the other side of you, which he does, then why not invite him to guide you and to lead you through the conflict that you're going through? Why not invite him to, to help reveal your motives, right? To do that gut check thing for you along the way and, and help you see like maybe you have a part of the problem. So thing number one, we said we're gonna pray when we engage in conflict. Uh, thing number two, we're gonna assume the best about one another. Other times we've said that we're gonna believe the best about one another because often our natural response is to assume the worst about one another, 
right? We get into conflict and that's when we start throwing out the, well, you always, or you never, or your mama didn't teach you. And, and like things just keep escalating. But if we actually choose to believe that the other person has good intentions, it's a way that we live this thing out, right? Instead of us fighting against one another, we believe, hey, no, we're on the same team and we both wanna solve the problem. So if we believe the best about one another, maybe we can do that together in a healthier way. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt and I'm gonna believe the best about you. And it can help us fight fair and fight clean. This next one I think is so important, especially in our like world of social media. We said that we're gonna talk to each other. And maybe the full sentence is we're gonna talk to each other, not about each other, right? We're gonna actually like work through this together not like we're gonna get into it and it's gonna be there and then I'm gonna tell everybody else about you and uh, then we're gonna have two problems, right? Because there's the problem and then there's the problem I just created by talking about the problem in the way that I talked about the problem. And that's not good for anyone. And so instead, bring the conflict to the light with the person who's in the conflict instead of hiding it in the dark or instead of just taking it to everybody else. Jesus actually taught this directly. In Matthew chapter 18, there's this account of Jesus' teaching about how Jesus' followers should actually navigate through conflict. And he says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother, right? It seems very simple, but we struggle to do this. He says, if there's conflict, go to the person, tell him about it. And if they engage in it, if you do the thing and you fight clean, right? Like you get along, then you're good. And there's no drama. There's no like everybody else getting in it. Like, just deal with it with the person and move forward. Now, if you want to do some like reading on your own, Matthew 18 goes on and it talks about what happens if you go to the person and they don't deal with it. And then you get some other people involved in a healthy way. But the point is we should talk to each other, not about each other. We went on and uh, in a similar way, we said this principle that we should let everyone speak when we're navigating through conflict. We should make every perspective, every opinion valid. We should give room for it and honor every person involved. And uh, have you ever been in a conflict with somebody? I think this happens often in uh, dating and marriage relationships where somebody said like, hey, it feels like this when you do that. And, and we naturally want to respond and be like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. That doesn't work for the record because like it doesn't matter whether you should or shouldn't feel a certain way. The person saying, I feel it, like it's there. And guys, we do this often. We're like, well, you shouldn't feel that. That's wrong. That's not how I want you to feel. But that doesn't like undo how they feel. And so that's what this principle is about. You actually give people space to like speak up, to be a part of the equation, to, to bring their view and bring their perspective and to honor it and to bring it room at the table as you work through the problem together. It's the responsibility of both the speaker and the listener to do this, to make sure that everybody is represented and everybody is heard along the way. This next one, I really like uh, because it shows the tension sometimes of navigating conflict, but we said that we should argue like we're right and listen like we're wrong. <laughs> we should argue like we're right and we should listen like we're wrong. And maybe that sounds kind of weird to you because you're like, argue like you're right. Like, isn't that fighting unfair? Like, isn't that fighting dirty? But no, the truth is you can bring your perspective to the table, right? Like you're a valid part of the equation. And we've talked about that in previous weeks and clarifying expectations and being your true self. Like it's okay for you to have convictions. It's okay for you to have things that matter to you, things that you're passionate about that you wanna to bring to the table, but you need to find that sweet spot between both conviction and humility, right? Where you can bring your thing to the table, but you might be wrong, right? Like you can argue like you're right. You can listen like you're wrong along the way. And Jesus's brother, James, again, wrote about this dynamic when he gave this instruction that I think 
in our world right now, we could probably all stand to read every single day. He said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Right? It's not saying don't get angry. There's times to get angry. It's not saying don't speak up. There's times to speak up. But what if you were quick to listen? What if your knee-jerk was to take the humble posture and to listen, to argue like you're right, but to also listen like you're wrong? There's one more thing that we worked on together as a team. And we said that as it relates to conflict, we should commit to clarity and to closure. Because sometimes we do half the work as it relates to conflict. Right? There's like the big blow up and all the fireworks happen and you fight dirty for a second and, and then like things kind of start to calm down and maybe you like kind of resolve it. Right? Like, hey, I'm sorry for that thing that I said. And then you move forward, but you never have actually dealt with the thing beneath the thing. You never actually like resolved the thing that prompted the conflict in the first t- place. The truth is resolving conflict is hard work and it can take time. It doesn't always just happen in one conversation or in one instance. And in fact, it might mean more than one conversation. It might mean checking in with the person on and on and on until things get to a place of clarity and a place of closure where where everybody says like, yeah, okay, we've talked about that and we've dealt with it and now we can move forward together. So these are some conflict norms that a team that I was a part of worked on together just to help guide us to have a healthy culture as it relates to this. But for you, again, as it relates to this idea of fighting clean, in your relational context, whether that's with an individual or with a group or with everybody ever, I don't know, what is one of these principles that you could actually grab onto and try and practice this week? Maybe one or two of these things. Like maybe you're like, hey, this week, if the conflict shows up and it's probably gonna show up, I'm gonna pray first. I'm just gonna pump the brakes and I'm gonna pray first. That could be a game changer, right? Or or what if instead you're like, no, you know what? I'm gonna talk to that person that I've been talking about. I'm actually going to have the conversation. I'm going to move it forward. I think it could be a game changer for you and for your relationships. But here's the point today, right? As we're talking about conflict, we don't want to live in false peace. We don't want to fight dirty. But the point is this, that we should engage in conflict, but don't fight to win the argument. Instead, fight to win the relationship, right? Don't fight to just get your point across and miss the person who's across from you. Jesus calls us, to always elevate the person over our position, to always elevate the relationship over being right. And he calls us to fight clean, to not avoid conflict, but to engage in it. And here's the thing, we spent five weeks on this because we're called, those of us in the room who wanna take seriously following Jesus, we're called to be known by our love for one another, not our rightness, not our positions, not our authority, not our power, but by our love. And as we learn to practice these things we've talked about, right, clarifying our expectations with one another, going under the surface, becoming self-aware, being willing to present our true self to the world, listening, not just like on the surface, but incarnationally, and having some good clean fights along the way, then we can actually embody what it means for us to be the very presence of God active in the world today. So the stakes are really high but the opportunity is also really rich for us to live out this calling that God has put on us. So let me pray for you to that end. God, once again, uh, it's another week of this series as we've looked at these relational skills. And once again, I think they seem kind of obvious, but if we're honest, they're so difficult. And God, I wanna pray for the person in the room today who uh, maybe has been living with a false peace for a really long time, 
right? They, they know the conflict is there, but they've just pushed it down or they've avoided it. Or maybe they felt the pressure that they're just supposed to be nice and to avoid conflict. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to engage in the conflict, to actually stand up for themselves or stand up for what they believe is right and, and to voice their opinion. But God, also help us to not be people who fight dirty, right? Help us to not resort to those cheap tricks and tactics that manipulate other people and, and ultimately cause more harm than good. But God, for all of us, would you help us to fight clean? Would you help us to be people who are willing to talk to one another and to stop fighting one another with the problem in between us, but to actually get on the same side together and to address whatever has caused the conflict? God, help us to own our part of it. Help us to practice some of these principles that we've talked about, not just today, but over the past few weeks. And ultimately, help us to be more loving for our benefit, for the benefit of the people we're in relationship, and ultimately for the benefit of a watching world. God, help us to be known by our love as we try and practice the way of love. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.